you and 99 other people are in a plane flying over an unknown island. Next stop, Battle Royale, <laughs> Battle Royale levels, Battle Royale games. And the conspiracies around them. It's not, not just talking about them for 20 minutes. And then, do you believe in second chances? Some people do, and some people don't. But what happens when someone's second chance affects us all? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. You know, I made that joke in the intro about not talking about Battle Royale games for 20 minutes because I did. I actually did, and it was actually 22 minutes, and I'm looking at the recording, and I was like, "Mm -mm. nope, I would rather re-record this entire episode than have to try to edit that up. So let's go. Let's talk about Battle Royale games, as briefly as possible. So this was a recommendation from Jean-Luc via Gmail. Now, what's funny, and some of you guys may have caught on to this, I speed read, and a lot of times I will respond to stuff that you didn't say in the comments. You will send me an email and I'll be like, hey, that's a great idea. I never thought that skeletons could actually float above water. And people tend to be quite kind and don't point out that they actually never made that reference. They, they, they were talking about Chevys. And for some reason, I thought about that. And then I'll go back, and I've done this a couple times. I'll go back and reread the email at prepping a story. And then I'll email them back and say, oh, sorry, I misunderstood your original email. I've sped read it. That's what happened here. Jean-Luc sent an email about Battle Royale games. And I was like, oh, yeah. Mm, yes, all the conspiracies involving Battle Royale games, these are going to be awesome. And then I reread his email a day or two later. And it was like, if video games are built to be addictive, I wonder how they affect kids developing brains. And I was like, I did not even think of that. I was looking into all sorts of weirdness. So let, let's go ahead and jump into this real quick or jump out of an airplane into this. I don't really think Battle Royale games really need an explanation, but you're one of 100 players. You're dropped into an island with nothing. This is kind of an overview. You're dropped into an island with nothing, and your goal is to, to be the last person left. They're based on the movie... Battle Royale, which is a great Japanese film, probably like 2002, 2003, and in a sense, The Hunger Games as well. And it's that same idea. You're dropped into an area with absolutely nothing, and through skill and luck, through scavenging and outwitting your opponent, you can come out on top. It's a great genre, and I think the reason why it catches on so well is it's almost a microcosm for life. Everyone starts off with nothing. And you could say, well, some people are born rich and da da but, but you know what I mean? Like, in general, everyone starts off in the exact same place. And through scavenging, through exploring, through luck, you find the tools that you think you will need to come out on top. And another interesting thing about it is permadeath. So no matter how good or bad you do in a particular game, the next game, everyone is completely the same again. Nobody has a better weapon each time. You can luck across the better weapon, or through skill, you can know how to use a not-so-stellar weapon better than a guy with a better weapon, but no skill. So it's just like life. It really is a lot like life. It's a, it's a, it's a good way to look at 
life and how we wish life would be. Everyone starts off the same, and you, through luck and skill, you can achieve your goals. You can come out on top with a chicken dinner. Now, video games are built to, to be addictive, but I think the reason why Battle Royale games have taken off so much, because they're relatively recent. First Battle Royale game really was like a Minecraft mod, a Hunger Games Minecraft mod. And then they popped up very, very quickly after that. And so the reason why I think they're so popular is because they do have that, you have that intrinsic feeling of fairness built into it. There's been other talks that a Battle Royale game actually meets like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which we'll do another episode on that because that's really not video games and Maslow's, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs is fascinating in and of itself. But basically like every human starts off with just trying to get survival and then they try to find shelter and then they have to have a social network and then they have like creativity and then actual self-actualization, all this stuff. I don't really think that fits. I think that's a little too smarty pants for, for a video game like this because there is no social networking in Battle Royale games. It's kill or be killed. Even with your squad, it's your squad versus everyone else's squad. So I don't really know if it fits the Maslow hierarchy of needs. But let's go to Jean-Luc's question here real quick. Because video games are built to be addictive. They are based on, especially games where you pay for, and they call them a game, what is it, play as service games or game as service. Anyways, where you have to keep paying to play the game. Most mobile games are like that. Candy Crush, things like that. If it sounds like I'm talking real fast, because I don't want to talk about this for 20 minutes like it did last time. Sucks spending 20 minutes recording an episode and being like, I gotta start over. So, game is service is what it's called. So, I'll try to slow down. Game is service is what it's called. So, here's the thing. You have to make it addictive because you want people to keep coming back. Candy Crush and all those mobile games are like it. That Walking Dead game, I don't play it anymore, but... I would check it to see if there were zombies in my area. It would limit how much I could play, so that way I would put the phone away and then check it, see if my memory was back, my energy, whatever it was. Shoot some more zombies, put the phone away. It wants to keep you coming back to the game. So leveling up is an addictive thing where it's very easy to level up in the beginning, and then the longer you play it, the longer it takes to level up. That's an addictive thing. It doesn't make sense in real life. I mean, if you read a book... You gain knowledge. It doesn't matter how long the book is. You can gain knowledge from reading any length of book. To get from a... Like, basically, your sophomore year of college is not ten times longer than your freshman year of college. So, but anyways, college isn't addictive. The video games are built to be addictive. And this was Jean-Luc's question. What happens when you take an addict... This was his actual question and not the rant that I went off on or I'm going to go into. What happens when you take an addictive substance, like a video game, that is engineered to be addictive, and give it to a child. They've actually done studies on this. And the studies say that it messes with their reward center the same way it messes with everyone else's reward center. But we don't know what the long-term effects are of it. Now, it do- basically, the problem with video games is that I can walk 100 kilometers in a video game And a little achievement will come up and say, you walked 100 kilometers. And you're like, whoa, that's an achievement I made. But a real-life achievement would be literally walking 100 kilometers. And being like, whoa, I walked this huge distance. And it tricks your brain into basically giving it an award. When no award was to be had, you just simply pressed forward on a joystick for however long it took your character to walk 100 kilometers. That's why those achievements pop up very quickly in the while you first start playing the game. The longer you play the game, the harder the achievements get. So it's, again, you're like, whoa, only 
10% of the people who ever played Killing Floor 2 have this IT bag 10 scrakes in one game achievement. I have it. That's why they give you, usually you can check the status of your achievement. And don't get me wrong, I'm a sucker for all that stuff too. When I'm playing games, I get suckered into the achievements and all this as well. But I'm an adult and that's my choice to do that. When a kid is getting suckered into achievements, it's messing with their reward center in a way that we don't know the long-term consequences. I'm going to make a couple predictions real quick right now. One, I'm going to predict that loot boxes, and that's the sense that if I want a particular skin or suit for my character, I can spin a currency on a box and I may or may not get that skin. Those are going to be gone in two years. I think that's going to be completely... It's too much like gambling. People are going to say it's... And there's already been countries that have tried banning loot boxes. I think that's on its way out. They'll just sell... And the way I look at it too, I would would spend $20 buying skins for guns in a game, but I'm not going to spend a dollar on the chance that I might get this ultra rare skin. I'd rather spend money on the skins that I want. I also, I'm going to make this, and this is kind of a side note, it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Within the next two years, YouTube will be completely demonetized. There will be no videos. You won't be able to get any revenue from YouTube at all. It's just way too much trouble for them. When YouTube started off, there was no monetization. Viral videos started popping up. They started saying, we'll share the revenue with you. I think in the next two years, that'll be gone. Their thing will be like, we'll provide you a free place to place your videos. And if you want money, get a sponsor. They can still place ads wherever they want. And if you want to make money off of it, get a sponsor. That's what I predict. That's another Jason prediction. I see that happening in the next two years. But anyways, we'll see if both of those corrections, those predictions are correct. I'm going to tell you a prediction that's not correct because I didn't come up with it. And this is back to our Battle Royale game. There's a website called Reign of Mary. Now, Reign of Mary, from what I can... And I had to spend like an hour on it to make sure this was not a parody website. Because the stuff they talk about is straight out of hardcore fundamentalist Christianity. I'm going to read you a quote. I'm going to read you a quote from an article they did on Battle Royale games. We are in the transition period from the naive, smiley, sexual revolution of the 60s to its natural conclusion, an openly satanic society that shuns civilization and order of nihilism and of man emulating animals and Indians as the model ideal. Battle Royale games, this article's about, gotta remind you, their suggestion is that not only do Battle Royale games like PUBG and Fortnite tell people that it's okay to go around killing each other and killing each other is the highest form of like conquering which kind of is but not only that but the characters are dressed really really poorly the the website goes on for quite a while talking about how the guys in PUBG start off in their underwear and how that's just so like inhumane and like the Indians they hate the Indians also not a huge fan of the Jews they talk a lot about them in this the Jews and the Freemasons apparently are conspiring to kill all the Catholics. If they had their way, the Catholics would be dead. Fortnite, Jews, Freemasons, Indians, sexual revolution, it's all combined. And the main purpose of Fortnite, the main purpose of PUBG, the main not Apex Legends, because that game's dope, the main purpose of those other two lame battle royales, Fortnite, is to get people ready for the mass martyrdom of the Catholics. Yes, the Catholics, the most hated 
religious group on the planet. There's only like maybe like 500,000 left, last I heard. There's Catholics have no political power. You barely hear about them nowadays. They've really just kind of disappeared. The Pope's in hiding, if they still even have a Pope. I haven't met a Catholic myself in probably 20, 30 years. It's been quite rough on the Catholics this past two millennia. So yes, the Catholics are being rounded up worldwide. It's a tragedy. Um, They're dropping them, a hundred of them a time on an island. The Catholics, man, they've all been rounded up. There's not many of them left. All their political power, and they have no wealth, and they're just completely decimated. That is what Reign of Mary is talking about. That is what the Battle Royale games are about. It's about getting us prepared for the mass martyrdom of Catholics. Predictive programming, you ask? Why, good sir. I think Jason's quite the expert on that. Let me say this right now. The only thing Battle Royale games have prepared me to do is to scavenge and murder. Like, yes, I have fun at them, but now I know to go places where certain loot is. And if I see a house in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to assume there's a man hiding in that house on the top of a door waiting to shoot me in the head. That's what Battle Royale games have prepared me for. So if they're preparing Catholics to get slaughtered in mass, they're doing a terrible job. Because guess who plays Battle Royale games? Everybody, including Catholics. So if you're building a game to prepare everyone for the slaughter of Catholics, don't let Catholics play that game so they don't know what to prepare for. I know that if I see a ramp magically appearing in front of me made out of wood to shoot the bottom of the ramp. And if I am building a ramp myself to build it three ramps wide so it's harder for them to shoot it out from underneath me. And I'm not even Catholic and I can figure that stuff out. So you've learned some stuff today. You've learned that Catholics aren't allowed to play Fortnite and PUBG otherwise they'll know of the secret plans. And you've learned that I speed read emails. So in the future, here's a predictive programming for you. If you send me an email and I respond with a nonsensical answer, because I I didn't get around to what you're actually saying. I read it. I just didn't comprehend it. Let's move on to our next story. Now, our next story is a goodie, but it's a shorty. It's a tiny little one. And I thought it was a good way to actually end this episode because it's about second chances. I read the story of this isn't what it's about. I'm just going off on another tangent. I was on Wikipedia the other day. I wanted to know about Earl Simmons, a.k.a. DMX, Darkman X. I found out two things. Darkman X, DMX, he's the guy. Ruff, ruff. Ran with the Rough Riders. Always hung out with, like, dogs on the cover of his album. Yo, I'm with my dogs. You put us in a cage. We're going to bite you. Blah, blah, blah. Love him. That wasn't me mocking him. He just, ruff, ruff, ruff. Basically, that's every song. If you've never heard of DMX, you've basically heard every song in three seconds. I love the guy, though. Found out a couple things. Found out, one, one time he went to jail and he said, you know what, I don't know why I'm here. He was Actually, he was there for a cocaine charge. But he goes, I don't know why I'm here, but I feel like Jesus put me here to meet someone, and I haven't met him yet, but when I do meet him, then I'll know why I'm here. And it's kind of a very spiritual way to look at the obstacles that come about in your life. I was like, that's that's kind of cool. A second chance. Then I found this out about DMX. DMX, leader of the Rough Riders, all about dogs, all about, always had his pit bulls and his music videos. The good guys in his songs were dogs. He'd always talk about cats, like I got a dog chasing a cat up a tree. He's really into dogs and cats. I just figured, you know, he's really into dogs and cats. He's really into dogs and doesn't like cats. 
I was reading his Wikipedia page. He got abused a lot. I guess like his dad bounced early on. And he grew up and his mom abused him, physically abused him. And then he had a stepfather who came into the picture who physically abused him as well. And at one point when he was probably like 12, DMX would run away from home and he would just wander the city all by himself. He would not want to go home because he knew the abuse that was going to be waiting for him at home. And his only friends on those dark city nights were stray dogs. I was like, oh my God, that totally puts all of that in perspective. Like dogs were his friends, his crew. That was the only people he could trust because he was getting abused by the people who were supposed to love him. He went out into the cold city streets and like befriended all of these dogs and was just hanging out with them. And then his mom basically found out like he why he wasn't coming home and just it kicked the shit out of him even more and sent him to a reform school so he didn't get to hang out with his dogs anymore. <laughs> I totally I don't know if that's true, but it's on his Wikipedia page. And if it's true, there has to be an they they have to make an animated movie about that. DMX and his dogs, where it turns out like all the dogs he hung out with as a little boy, like ended up like helping his record career. I don't know. Anyways, let's get on to the episode. I thought it was so heartbreaking, but really the main point of that was second chances. The first part of the story, not DMX and his dogs. Isn't that sad? That's so sad. This little boy walking around playing with dogs. And then later on, he just refers to all of his friends as his dogs. Because those were his first true friends. I don't know, man. That's just choke, choking me up, dude. Choking me up. <laughs> okay, so anyways, let's go ahead and get on to our second part of this episode. So, second chances. So, there was this guy. First off, I'd have to ask you, and you can't actually answer me. You can answer me. I won't be able to hear you, unfortunately. You can leave a comment. Check my email later. But do you believe in second chances? Do you believe that sometimes things happen to you You may have done something awful, but you deserve a second chance. Or something happens to you and, like the DMX example, it allows you to go through a tribulation so then you earn your second chance. It's It's a difficult issue, and I think it really depends on what we're talking about. We're going to Mansfield, Ohio. The year is 1965. It's November. And there's two teenage girls, Mary Ellen Denier, who's 14, and Brenda Sue, who's 12. And they're doing laundry in the city of Mansfield. And at one point, Mary Sue goes, I don't have enough quarters. I have to go get some quarters. And Brenda's like, okay, you know, I'll just hang out here doing laundry stuff. Big old machines, you know, throwing the laundry around. They're listening to doo-wop music. I don't know why I call them Mary Sue. Mary Ellen, it's Mary Ellen and Brenda Sue. So Mary Ellen very disrespectful to get the names of these people mixed up. Mary Ellen leaves the laundromat to go get some coins. And while she's coming back from getting the coins, she meets Lester Eubanks. Now, Lester Eubanks is 22 years old, 22-year-old man. And he's the worst person she could have met. A string of sex-related crimes had landed him in jail before this chance meeting with her. He was no angel, no innocent person. He meets this girl... Tries to rape her, shoots her twice, and then beats her to death with a brick. And bounces. Now, this is like in an alleyway, not super late at night. Because these girls are doing laundry. So 
it's like in an alleyway, he does it, he, there's a witness, he gets caught, he claims insanity, but then eventually confesses to the murder. Says, yes, I did it, shouldn't have done it, I was a little crazy, shouldn't have done it. They put him on death row. Now, in 1972, the U.S. Supreme Court rules that the death penalty is unconstitutional. They've changed that since, but in 1972, they said death penalties unconstitutional. You can't do that. You just can't execute people. So you have this young man named Lester Eubanks, and he's sitting in prison, and the warden and everyone starts to go, you know what? Lester is an amazing person. He's actually a model prisoner. People started to see that he was polite. He was knowledgeable. He was well-respected among the both the prisoners and the guards. But not only that, he was a gifted artist. He became known like multiple newspapers and magazines profiled this man profiled his work saying look at this young man in prison look at these paintings he can draw and everyone's like oh these paintings are beautiful it was mona lisa with an afro was one of her paint one of his paintings and people were like oh this is revolutionary revolutionary brilliant artist So this is Ohio State Penitentiary. The warden says, you know what, Lester, you are not only a gifted artist, not only does everybody love you, but I love you. I love you, Lester. Yes, you did murder and try to rape that girl ten some odd years ago, but something tells me you deserve a second chance. Lester's like, thank you. Thank you, warden. I also feel like I deserve a second chance. The warden's like, yep. Now, I have a special... This is totally real. This 100% happened. I have a special... Pro- <laughs> Lester goes, why'd you say that? And the warden's like, oh, I don't know. Just building, build, letting the people know that this is real. Lester's like, what people? Warden's like, never mind. The warden goes, I have a special program. It will allow you, Lester Eubanks, murderer of a 14-year-old girl, go Christmas shopping at a local mall. And Lester goes, really? The warden goes, that's not all, Lester. This incredibly real program that actually existed at one point in the state of Ohio, yes? Not only can you go Christmas shopping at a mall, not only can you go Christmas shopping at a mall, Lester, you can go alone. As long as you... Hold on, don't get jumped from your seat yet. As long as you promise to meet the guards that are going to be standing outside of the mall. And Lester goes, dude, you've seen my paintings, man. You see my paintings. The warden's like, I've seen your paintings. And he's like, you've seen my paintings. And you know you can trust me. You know. You can trust me, right? I'll go see those guards. And and the warden's like, why are you hiding your other hand behind your back? You don't have your fingers crossed, do you? And he's like, no, no, look at both hands. I was just scratching, just scratching. You can trust me. So, on December 7th, Lester Eubanks, murderer of a 14-year-old girl, attempted to rape her, multiple sex crimes under his belt before that happened. December 7th, a day that will live on in infamy, the guards took him to, the guards take him to a mall, Full of Christmas shoppers. Nobody knows. It's not wearing. He's like he's wearing a prison jumpsuit or anything, and he has like chains. There's a whole chain gang walking through Macy's, going, going to, going to shovel me some snow or whatever they sing. I don't know. There was no. It was just a dude walking through Macy's. Guards are like, you know what? This is a pretty good program, isn't it? And the guy's like, yeah, it's a great program, isn't it? Nice. We trust these people. Hey, what time is it? Uh, yeah, he was supposed to check in like eight hours ago. Lester Eubanks bounced. Gone. Never seen again. To this day. Never ever seen again. And 
What's super bizarre about, there's multiple things that are bizarre about this story. One, for about, they searched for him for about five or six years. And then it totally went cold. He disappeared from the map. And the cops, I was reading one of the articles and they said the cop goes, the cop who's investigating him now wasn't even born when this happened. And this other cop was like, oh yeah, I was in elementary school when this happened. Like the people who are investigating, he's 75 now. But they're like, we know that he must have had help on the outside. And the one cop was saying, listen, this program that they had, which was incredibly stupid, and two people did the exact same thing 10 days before Lester did. They just walked away. Two other inmates just walked away. This story is so old. I don't know if those two guys got away, like stayed away for a long time. But within 10 days, they lost three people, one of them including Lester. They said, not only did he probably have help on the outside, but the one cop was saying, listen, Lester is such a conniving individual that his goal was to get into that program. They go, we can guarantee that he manipulated every single person till he got on the list to get in that program. All he wanted to do was get outside of that prison. He wasn't going to dig his way out, but he realized that he was in this hippy-dippy era where they're like, oh, criminals, you guys deserve second chances. Let's let you out. And the sec- this is what the cops said, at least. The second he found out that that program existed, he formulated an entire plan to get outside of the prison via that program. Because there was no hesitation. He walked. Never found again. They've chased him multiple states. They said they they did an Unsolved Mysteries on him in 1994. But it really went cold for like 20 years. And then other people came across it and they're like, this guy's loose? And the police are like, yeah, we never found him. They're like, but you're looking for him, right? And the cops are like, well, maybe, kind of. So now like new cops are taking it on trying to find him. But they have a couple aliases for him. They say he could be in this state, he could be in that state. But at 75 years old, he could easily still be alive. And they were saying that he's been smart. He's never taken a job or gone to anywhere where he had to be fingerprinted. Like, he must be living completely under the radar. It's funny because the cops aren't saying, oh, he's probably dead by now. Like, the cops are actually saying that he probably slid into a group that knowingly or unknowingly, like, they may not have known his past, but they go, if he's conniving enough, he could have manipulated his way into a group. It could have been a church group. could have been anything that would actually help shield and protect him. And they may know of his past or they may not. Absolutely bizarre. There is an idea of giving second chances to people. But then there's just outright being stupid. You, you can give people second chances, but you have to be careful about how you do it. Your girlfriend cheats on you. You can give her a second chance. But if you do, you have to lay down some strict rules. And it, my thing has been... The rules that I can lay down, it's not worth enforcing them. Like, you can come back and I can have all these rules, but I'm going to spend more time enforcing them than I'm going to have fun hanging out with you. So, no, you don't get a second chance. So, it's you have to be very, very careful when you dole out these second chances. But don't dole them out to attempted rapists and murderers of teenage girls and let them go. The, and it was sucked because the mom, they kept interviewing the mom of the girl. In the article, and she's like, I don't even know how to comprehend this. Like, he's loose, and no one was looking for him. My little girl died. And this guy just walked out of prison. And you know she had to read all those articles about what a great artist he was and all this stuff. and Gross. 
you can have second chances. And as people who have the ability to give second chances, we can do that too. But they should be used with caution. Because when they're not, murderers are let loose into society and then just disappear. And someone, and this wasn't a manslaughter charge, this was someone with a history of sexual crimes and eventually a murder. What did Lester Eubanks do that Christmas or any other Christmas afterwards to celebrate his escape? The idea of him having earned his second chance by going down a straight and narrow path is almost laughable. But what isn't laughable are the victims that came after Mary Ellen that we don't know of yet. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Hold up. 